We are in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 3. Again, verses 3 through 13 are all one uh, sentence. Even though we are breaking it down, we'll still keep going back over here to where he began it anyway. But he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When we started off, we looked at the spiritual blessings that were there and also the type of kingdom that we are in now. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable, accepted in the Beloved. Last week we looked at the idea of predestination. It is according to God's ability, not our understanding, and in view of his foreknowledge, which was still our free choice. We had to complete free choice to choose whichever way we wanted to go, but Jesus, God had the foreknowledge ahead of time. He knew the end from the beginning. He knows the past, the present, and the future, so he knew exactly what choice we were going to be making. And the things that he predestined were based upon who he knew would be on the team and who he knew would be available and who he knew would make the right choices. So that's where the predestination came. It is uh, very easy. We looked at seven or eight examples in the scriptures last week of people who had a predestined direction to go, got off of it, but came back on. Of course, some people did not. But just because God predestined it didn't mean that you had to follow that path. There are many in the scriptures who did not follow the path that God had laid out and their lives were not as good because of it. So let's pick it up here. We leave off after having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We looked at that part of adoption as sons too, that that is a son placing. The example we saw in Galatians, I don't think I emphasized it exactly, but the uh, emphasis that he gave us was that the children, while they were heirs, were still children, they were still under, under, the, um, under stewards, and it related those to the law. In the Old Testament, they were under the law. In the New Testament, we're not under law. We're under the Spirit of God who speaks to us. That's a more mature way to walk. A lot of people don't want that. They want to go along. God, just tell me what to do, what not to do. They want a a less mature relationship. But we need to get into the place of being heirs and being the mature, mature ones. So having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us, accepted in the beloved he has made us accepted that is all past tense there is nothing to add on our part the um, uh, word here accepted is from the greek word karitao which comes from the root word grace the definition of this word is to endue with special honor to make accepted to be highly favored and do with special honor, make accepted and be highly favored. So he says he has made us accepted. He has made us, not the things that we have done. We haven't done it. He has in the past made us accepted, made us highly favored, made us with special honor in the beloved. This is where we are accepted. We need to be in the Beloved. We need to be in Christ. This is where we're going to have that place. If we go outside of Christ, we're not. Keep that in mind because that helps us with some of the parts that will be coming up. In verse 7, and this is where we're going to be spending most of our time tonight in the concept of redemption. I'm going to take a look at, at what this actually means. Sometimes we think we've heard so much about redemption, we've lost sight of uh, the, the nuances of it and what it actually means for us. So we're going to take a look at this word redemption. We're going to follow some of the aspects of it through Scripture and find out exactly what we were redeemed from. We all know we were bought with a price. Who was the price paid to? In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So in Him, we have redemption through His blood. We know that salvation... Work at the cross was divided up into two parts. That part which was done by the body and that part which was done by the blood. Many times people are getting this thing uh, messed up. 
Sometimes we think, well, the blood is all-powerful. We'll just use the blood for everything. You cannot use the blood for what it was not intended for. The body is intended for what the body was intended for. The blood was intended for what the blood was intended for. Disregarding the plan of God is to say, well, I don't care what God says. I don't, I'm going to go with my own plan. And many Christians do this. You cannot put everything under the blood. What goes under the blood is the things that the Word of God has said are under the blood. What goes under the body is the things that the, the Word of God has said are on the body. And so we have to have that understanding of what these, these things are. Redemption. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There's a lot of doctrine he spells out in this first sentence in the in here, and it's why it's taken us some time to take a look at it. But it is through his blood. It's not our works. It's not by us staying good. It's not by the things that we accomplish. It is through his blood. <clears throat> Redemption, I think I left this in your outline for you. Redemption is to deliver by the payment of a price. Redemption is to deliver by the payment of a price. There are two words for redemption in the word of God. The first one, ex agorazo, ex agorazo, to buy like from a marketplace. To like go into a marketplace and to buy something. The other one is lutrao, or as it's used here, apo lutrao. It means to buy for the purpose of redeeming or setting free. The two words are like this. You can go into the marketplace and buy something. Your purpose may be to use it, your purpose may be to keep it. But lutrao is not that way. It means you go to buy something for the purpose of redeeming it or setting it free. So the example that would be used in the, in the Greek language, in the Greek culture, is if you went into a slave market and bought a slave, not for the purpose of having them be in your employ, not for the purpose for, for them being your slave, but for the, for the purpose of setting them free. Sometimes people would go in there and they would just, they would buy them and then give them their certificate of freedom. This, this happened all throughout history in different uh, nations, different places who had slavery. People that were in there didn't like it, so they would go in there and they would buy one and they would uh, set that one free. That's what this word was used for. Vines has this note on the two words. I drew, pulled this out of the vines. It says this, the first ex agorazo the first does not signify the actual redemption, but the price paid with a view toward it. The second signifies the actual deliverance, the setting at liberty. The word that is used here is the word lutrao or apo lutrao. Apo is adding to take from. We are taking from the dominion, from the uh, dominance of something else, and we are being set free. And that's why he uses that particular word here. So that's our word for redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, who is the captor of men? There are many times that people get confused on this idea of what we've been redeemed from because they look at the role of Satan. We are not redeemed from Satan. If we were redeemed from Satan, then Satan would set the price. And Satan would decide who he's going to sell. Or who he's going to allow to be bought. We are not redeemed from Satan. In the Word of God, I'm just going to read these off to you. You can write these verses down if you want to, but it's probably something that you already know. In John chapter 8 and verse 34, it says, We are slaves to sin. In Romans 6, 17, it says, We are servants to sin. In Romans 7.14, it says we are sold under sin. And in Romans 8.21, we are in bondage, or the, I'm sorry, creation is in bondage to corruption or sin. The problem is sin. The problem is not Satan. If sin is the captor, then it's, then it's not Satan holding us in bondage. Satan does not hold us in bondage. Sin does. People sometimes think that Satan has more power than he does. He is not the one holding us in bondage. He is not the one that we needed to be redeemed from. 
in Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In order to have remission, in order to have redemption from sin, there must be a shedding of blood. This is established in the Old Testament with the sacrifices. This continued on in the New Testament. And Jesus fulfilled this at the cross by his shedding of blood. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Galatians, he's not talking about being entangled with the devil. He's talking about being entangled with sin. In Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Sins is what holds us in bondage. Sin is what's in the power of darkness. Romans 6.15-23 through 23, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves for, of righteousness for holiness. We should be under righteousness the same way we were under sin. But this is what the problem was. The problem was sin. This is what we needed to be redeemed from. The work that Jesus did on the cross was to redeem us from Sin. So you just look at these verses that are here right right now. What has the blood freed us from? It's freed us from sin. And yet how often is the blood used for other things? The blood has freed us from sin. This is what held us under bondage. It was not Satan. Satan does not hold us under that bondage. Sin does. We'll get more into into him and his work here. Let's go on verse 20 from Romans. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of all these those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God... You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin. How many times have we read that verse? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Not the wages of Satan. It is the wages of sin. Sin is our problem. Sin is the big thing. Sin is what the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed us from. Now, we'll look at the role that Satan has in this, but the, but for most Christians, Satan has a much bigger role than the Bible teaches and that the Bible portrays. Our problem is not the devil. He can be a problem, but our problem is not the devil. The problem is sin. The problem is that sin nature that we keep wanting to come back to sin, get pulled us into it. It is not that the devil pulls us into it, but our own sin nature pulls us to these things, but Jesus Christ has freed us from the hold that sin would have over us. It has freed us from being enslaved to sin. We were never enslaved to Satan. We were never enslaved to demons. We were never enslaved to anything of of a fallen nature or fallen, uh, fallen angel. We were not enslaved to these things. We were enslaved to sin. So the work of Jesus at the cross in redemption is against sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, who? 
the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithfully and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who were tempted. The temptations of Jesus were to pull him into sin. Now, don't have time to get into it all today. We will look into this later on. But the power of death, this is what Jesus came to break. So up until then, there was a power of death that occurred outside of the realm of the kingdom of, of, uh, of that Jesus was bringing. So we'll take, we'll, we're putting that on hold. Just know we are going to come back to that. We are going to take a look at that. But I want to get this idea of redemption over here first. I'm going to bring your attention to five legal Greek words. These are five words that have to do with in the category of what we would call legalese, legal terms. Uh, I had a, a eliminated from the outline that I had for you there because uh, there was just no room for, for everything. It's not a big deal if you don't want to write them down. If you do want to, I mean, feel free to it. If you don't get anything, let me know. I will be sure to uh, send these things over here for you. But the first word I want to bring your attention to is dikaiosis. Dikaiosis, the act of pronouncing one righteous Justification or acquittal. That's from Vines. The act of pronouncing one righteous. Justification or acquittal. Most of the time this word is translated justification. This is the, the act of pronouncing one righteous. That when Jesus Christ operates in this, he is taking us from a place of being unjustified and making us justified. Making us pronounced righteous. That is the first term. The next one is a phasis, a, dis, a dismissal, release, even the canceling of a debt. It is used for the remission of sins and often translated forgiveness. <clears throat> that is our second one. This is the word, first one is justification, second one is forgiveness, if you just want to summarize them in that way. But is the Greek word a phasis, a dismissal, a release, even the cancellation of a debt. It is used for the remission of sins and often translated forgiveness. The third word is one we looked at last week, huiathesia, and that is the adoption or the sonship. This is a legal term. It is taking one who was, was a child and placing them into the official position of an heir of the house. Galatians tells us, that though he was the heir, he was, as a child, he didn't differ from a slave in that house. He had no right to the heir, to the heirship that was there. But once this legal action was done, they were put into a position to be able to take advantage of what was theirs as an heir, which is why in the prodigal son, they divided the things up before the father had died. The fourth one, katalasso, which is to change or exchange to change from enemy to friend, we, use, we see the term often in the Bible, reconciliation. To go from enemy to friend, to make a change or to exchange. This is what this word, karalaso, is to uh, take one who was formerly an enemy and make them into a friend. This is the role of reconciliation. So we have justification, we have forgiveness, we have the adoption or some placing. And we have reconciliation. Here's our, our fourth one. Apo, <clears throat> apolutrosis. To redeem, to purchase, or to set free. To redeem, to purchase, or to set free. These are the five terms I want us to focus on here. I'm going to show you the differences between these five. These are all terms that we look at in the process of redemption. Or the process of putting us in. In the right. Now, don't get lost in all the technical stuff. The technical stuff is necessary for you to get to the good part here at the end. <laughs> in, in the first, the first word we had in the word justification, we stand before God accused, but are declared righteous. That's the first word. We stand before God accused, 
but are declared righteous. Who accuses us? The accuser of the brethren. In the second, forgiveness, we stand before God as a debtor, but we receive a cancellation. We owe a debt we cannot pay. And so Jesus cancels it by paying the debt for us. There's a cancellation that is there. In the third, the son placing, we stand before God as a child or one under law, but are declared a son and an heir. That's the third. In the fourth, reconciliation, we stand before God as an enemy, but we are made a friend. And in the fifth, redemption, we stand before God as a slave, but we receive our freedom. Now, understand what this means. First off, Jesus paid the price. That's what he did at the cross. We were accused, but he bore the punishment. We were in debt, but he paid our debt. We were under the law, but he gave us a path to sonship. We were enemies, but he made us friends. We were slaves, but he made us free. This is all what happened in the area of redemption. It's not that he did some of these things. He accomplished all of these things. He did it before the foundation of the earth. He did it before the first sin was even done. This was all laid out. This was the plan. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the plan that was laid out before the foundation of the earth. So that what Jesus would do in this plan would accomplish everything that needed to be done. And these five things are going to be brought about. They are brought about in your life. So in your life, you are accused, but he bore your punishment. You were in debt, but he paid your debt. You were under the law, but he gave us a path to sonship, an heir. We were enemies, but he made us friends. We were slaves, but he made us free. If we see ourselves in the first half of any of those five statements, we do not see his work on our behalf. And the enemy is always trying to deceive us to get us to try and accomplish this work in our life. But he did it in the, in the path of redemption. Through the blood of Jesus, these things were accomplished. Our punishment is removed. Our debt is canceled. We have a path to be an heir. We are an heir. We are made heirs in Christ. We are now friends of God and we are free. We are no longer under the bondage of, of sin. We are free. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are in God. It is the blood of Jesus. This is all that could do it. All the gold in the world couldn't do this. All the gold in the world couldn't pay the debt. All the gold in the world could not make us friends with God. That whole list, there's nothing in that list that all the gold in the world could do. What could do it is the blood of Jesus Christ. But nowhere in this is it talking about the blood of Jesus Christ doing anything else but redemption. And somehow we've been sold on a bill of goods that I need something more than being redeemed. I need something more in order to be victorious in this life. You do not need anything more than the redemption that we have coming from Jesus Christ. Because of that redemption, I stand before God as a friend, not as an enemy. Because of that redemption, there is no debt between me and God. Because of that redemption, I am enslaved to nothing. I have, and Paul even brings out, you're not enslaved to sin anymore. If anything, you are enslaved to righteousness. And that's what you ought to be producing. Like when you were enslaved to sin, you produced sin. Now you're enslaved to righteousness. You ought to produce righteousness. This is what you've been redeemed to. This is what you've been redeemed into. 
and we try and use the blood for all sorts of other things, the blood is here to redeem us from what we were under, which is not Satan. We were never under Satan. He never had any jurisdiction over us. Sin did. If he had any hold over us, if he had any way to maintain that hold in our life, then part of the redemption price would have gone to pay it. But in all of Paul's writing about redemption, he does not talk about being redeemed from the devil. He talks about being redeemed from sin. If I understood the power that would go on in my life through redemption, getting freed from sin, I wouldn't keep looking for being freed from everything else. If I fully understood what it means to be, what it means to be free from sin. Why is sickness and disease in this world? Because of sin. Why are there earthquakes in this world? Because of sin. Why are there storms in this world? Because of sin. All creation is messed up because of sin. Sin is the problem. The devil just accents, just accentuates the problem. But the problem is sin. If I can get freed from the problem, I can get freed. But what a lot of Christians end up doing is they, they pick on the disciples for being in the boat battling the waves and Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind. The problem was the wind. The problem in our life was sin, not the devil. He just took advantage and tried to accentuate that problem in our life and keep us blind to what the redemption was done. And so all kinds of other things have been made out about the blood of Christ. The blood frees you from this. The blood frees you from this. No, the blood frees us from sin. Because sin is what held us under the power. So if I can be freed from sin, I am no longer held by anything that I was held to before. The devil does not have a hold on you. Sin does. When, when Jesus was here on the earth, did the devil have control over Jesus? He did not. How was he trying to get control over Jesus? To get Jesus to sin. If he could get Jesus to sin, he could then just do some things in that realm. But he couldn't get Jesus to sin because Jesus came into this world free from sin. He didn't need to be redeemed. He was already free from sin because he was born of a virgin. The sin nature was not passed on to him. The devil had to try and get Jesus under the power of sin the same way he got Adam under the power of sin. Because the devil had no power over Adam. But he put Adam under the power of sin. This is redemption. This is what Jesus has redeemed us from. One of the results of redemption is that we are free from the guilt of sin, the condemnation of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and eventually the presence of sin. I heard that from somebody else. I wrote that down. It was so good. I forget where it ever came from. I didn't write down where it came from. But we are free from the guilt of sin, the condemnation of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and eventually the presence of sin. Eventually the presence of sin is going to go. That will be, be gone. Now, I'll just, I'm just going to mess with you a little bit here on this one. If you, if you don't mind me just messing with you some. During the millennial reign, is Satan around? No, he's not, is he? He's in the, he's been put into the abyss. Right. You remember when it says that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron? Why do you have to rule with a rod of iron if there is no sin? All right, I'm leaving it out of there because I could be messing with you all kinds of ways with that one. We're not here to, 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 to go over that one. But in verse 7, when it says here the forgiveness of sin, that word, aphasis, which is um, uh, deliverance, liberty, remission, such things like that. When we, are, when we look at the concept in the Old Testament, you remember the Day of, um, uh, day of Atonement? On the Day of Atonement, there were two goats that were brought out. Two goats. We, we got our term the scapegoat from there. One of those goats is 
is sacrificed and the blood is sprinkled on the altar. The other one, they put the sin upon them and they are released out into the wilderness never to come back. That is the scapegoat. The, the Greek word that is used in the Septuagint to describe this releasing of this, this goat is this word. Forgiveness. Deliverance. Set free. That, that sin is put upon that goat and the people were set free from that sin. Now all this is happening in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Before sin was even committed. All this was going on in the mind of God. He planned all this out. He had all this, re- all this stuff ready. Let's go over verse 7 again. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So according to the riches of His grace, how rich are we talking about here? In Romans 5, verses 15 through 21, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Paul uses a lot of his legal terms. These are a, a lot of Greek legal terms he's using in, in these uh, descriptions of this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter how much sin would be there, the grace of God was sufficient to pay it. What, when you put all these verses together, what you're basically looking at is this. Before the foundation of the world, God made this plan for redemption from sin. Before the foundation of the world, He knew the decisions everyone would make and predestined those that were going to be in His family. Predestined the way for them to go. Whether they followed it or not was up to them. They had a free choice, but here's the way that you should go. He had the foreknowledge to know everyone's decisions that they would make on their own, which also means he had the foreknowledge to know all the sin. So what he's saying here is this. God knows exactly how much sin is coming. And he made sure that there was more than enough grace to pay it. Now that doesn't mean that you just go abounding in sin. Just know this. We cannot overdo what God has provided. His riches are great. He will, he will help us with that. Now, he says here, let's go over here to verse 7 and 8 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom. We have redemption in, through his blood, that redemption comes according to the riches of His grace. There is a difference. I put this in your outline for you anyway, even though I left part of the scripture out of it out. There is a difference between giving out of your riches and giving according to your riches. What it talks about here with us is that He gives according to His riches. That was earlier in the passage of Ephesians. I just didn't write that aspect of it down right there. But He gave according to His riches. There is a difference, and I heard this example used of this, and it has always uh, helped me to understand this. There is a difference between giving out of your riches and giving according to your riches. An example I heard was this. If you had a a project that you were going to do for the kingdom of God, and let's just say that this project had a price tag of $100,000 on it, that you needed to to pull this project off. You needed $100,000 
in order to accomplish this. And so you go up to a very, very rich person and you say, this is what we want to accomplish. This is what we want to do. Would you like to, to be, have a part of this? And they say, yes, I would like to have a part of it. And they give you $25. What you have is a person who has given out of their abundance. They gave out of it. They have an abundance. They gave out of that abundance. But you go over to another rich person and you present the same thing. They said, oh, I think this is great. I'd like to be a part of this. And so they write you a check for $120,000. Maybe even $150,000. Why? I just said I needed 100000 Yeah, but just in case it goes over. Now see, that person gave not out of their abundance. They gave according to their abundance. That's the difference. You can give out of your abundance or you can give according to your abundance. When it describes the giving that God did, when Paul describes it here in Ephesians, he describes giving according to his abundance. He has great abundance. He's giving according to the abundance, not just matching the need. He's giving according to the abundance. I have great abundance up here, here. And he has given more than enough to accomplish what we need to do. When he talks about redemption, whatever needs to be redeemed has been provided for. Now he made this to abound to us, this grace to abound to us. This word here, abound, is the Greek word that means to superabound in quantity or quality. To be in excess, to be super. Fluors, fluors. To um, you, you don't just give just enough. You go way over top. We don't want to just get there. You know, if you're going to go out and make a trip, and the trip was 100 miles away, then you calculate it out. All right, I get so many miles to the gallon in my vehicle. Therefore, I calculate that I'm going to need seven gallons of gas. And so you go up to the to the gas station and your tank is close to empty, it's not quite empty, and you put in seven gallons of fuel so that you can get there. Now that's just enough. But you could also go to the gas station and fill the whole thing up. And now you got more than enough to get there. And you're not thinking as you're on the way, oh, I hope I have enough to get there. Oh, the light's starting to come on. <laughs> how, how far can you drive in your car with your light on? I think most of us have an idea. We can go, you know, five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles because we pushed it sometimes because we didn't have a, a choice for one reason or another. It wasn't a gas station around, uh, didn't have the time to stop, whatever it might be. Uh, but yeah, sometimes we have, we have pushed it and we're kind of wondering, I wonder if I have enough to get in there. But it, how much better is it to drive someplace and the tank is full and you know you have more than enough to get there? This is what he's talking about. That it superabounds which he made to abound or to superabound toward us. The riches of his grace are made to superabound toward us. He's given us more grace than we need. Make sure that we get there. He says, let me go back to the scripture. I got it too far away. That he made to abound toward us in all. We all know what that word all means. All. Any, every, the whole thing, all, that he made to abound toward us in all wisdom. That means the whole gamut, all wisdom and prudence. The word there for wisdom is, of course, the word we're very familiar with, Sophia, wisdom, higher or lower, worldly or spiritual. Of course, what he's talking about is spiritual wisdom, not worldly wisdom. Prudence may not be as uh, clear to us, but this is a word that means mental action or activity, intellectual or insight into a thing. Sometimes it comes out as, as uh, wisdom in some, some places as well. But this is that mental activity, that intellect, that uh, you're just smart enough to, to figure this thing out. It comes to us so that we have the wisdom, knowing how to apply the knowledge that we have, and understanding or the mental action or intellect to, to figure the whole thing out. Now, let's get to where we tie this whole thing together. We were born in bondage to sin, not the devil. I was not born into bondage to the devil. I do not come under the bondage of the devil. 
I'm under bondage to sin. The devil was a defeated foe. I hope you get this, understand this. The devil was a defeated foe before the cross. Wasn't he? When was the devil defeated? Doesn't, doesn't, um, Ezekiel talk about the defeat of Satan? That we saw him falling? That before the, 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 the earth that was here before Adam, that he fell and brought those nations into disobedience. He was defeated then. There was a war in heaven. And some of the angels sided with him. But the, the war was over. They were defeated. He is a defeated foe. He was a defeated foe before Adam was put on this earth. He did not go to the cross to defeat the devil. He went to the cross to redeem us from sin. And to set us free from sin being in our life. That was the purpose. We were born into sin and therefore needed redemption from it. We were not born into the devil. We were born into sin. The devil is the one who brought sin into the, the universe as far as we can tell. He brought, he's the one who brought sin into the universe. He's the one who set up his will above God. And so therefore he became the father of, of sin. But we came under sin the same way he came under sin. We did not come under the devil. The devil does not own us. We don't go to him. If we die in our sin, we don't go to the devil. We go to the hell and eventually to the, to the lake of fire. We don't go to the devil because he doesn't own us. Sin owns us. And that's where we were redeemed from. The devil's control over us. Now get this one. The devil's control over us comes from our yielding to or staying under sin. That's the only way the devil can have any kind of control over us at all is as I yield to sin. Because as I yield to sin, I do the will of who? I do the will of the, of the evil one. By my yielding to sin. I don't do the will of God. So he knows if he can, if he can get us into the bondage of sin and keep us in the bondage of sin, we will basically work for his kingdom. But God wants to set us free from that. Because the wages of working for that kingdom are not good. But the wages of working for his kingdom are great. He, he went to set us free from it. So the devil's control over us comes from our yielding to or staying under sin. This is why his tactics are to deceive us into thinking that sin won't hurt us. How many Christians have embarked in a lifestyle sin? Have embarked into a sin of, well, I can, I can do this. I mean, I haven't died so far. I have, nothing bad has happened. I'm still in ministry. I'm still doing things for the kingdom of God. They don't understand that when I put myself under sin, I put myself under the bondage of what I've been redeemed from. And therefore, I come under the control of it again. But we don't need to do it this way. But that's his, that's his tactics. To deceive us into thinking that sin won't hurt us. We are not bought back from the devil. Why would he do it? If we were the devils, why would the devil sell us back? From what, everything that you know of the devil, do you think he'd want to sell any of us back? Do you think he'd want to give any of us back to God? And if he did, what price would he set? Is he going to set a different price for each person? Well, no, you can't have that one. I'm keeping that one. But that's not what's going on, is it? Because we're not, we're not the devils. We're not under him. We're under sin. So therefore, sin is the, is what we need to be redeemed from. So how was the price set for what it would cost to get us from sin? And how is it that that price doesn't change? Well, it's simple. The price for how to get one out from under sin was not established by sin. It was established by God. And God said in the beginning the, that the, the price of sin was death. Someone had to die. Except that his plan was, my son's going to do it. 
for all of you so that none of you have to. So his death would take our place. And that death would redeem us from the power of sin. Sin doesn't have a choice. It's not like sin saying, well, I'm not going to let this one go. Sin does not have a choice. Sin only has power over those who do not receive the redemption, the redemption price that was paid by Jesus Christ. They're the only ones that they have the the power over. Now, get this. This is why Adam and Eve were removed from the garden of Eden. This whole concept is why they were removed from the garden of Eden. Because in the garden of Eden was a very special tree. Do you remember the name of that tree? Tree of life. And it was even stated in the book of Genesis. We have to get them out lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. If they live forever, the penalty couldn't be paid. So he had to take them out and death had to come in order for them to be redeemed. So don't let the devil trick you into thinking you are under his control or ever were. You are not. You were born under sin, not him. And the price of redemption is already paid. Whether you receive it or not is up to you. You have been redeemed. You have been set free. If sin has a hold over you, it is not because the work of God was inadequate. It is my understanding that the work of God is inadequate or I have been sold onto something that is not right. And many Christians are sold under this thought that the devil has them in bondage. That the devil is yielding some kind of power over them. And this is that you go to a lot of Christians, you will find out they have this there. They are thinking the devil made me do it. Who came up with that? Was that Flip Wilson? <laughs> he was great. I enjoyed him. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make us do it. It was the sin nature in us. But we have been redeemed from the sin nature. Sin no longer has power over us because of what Jesus Christ did. If sin no longer has power over us, then the things that come from it are no longer to be in our life. So the devil knows the only thing I can do is to get you deceived into thinking embracing sin won't hurt you. If I can keep you under sin, then I can keep you under its power. He's not keeping you under his power. He may deceive you and think you that that's what he's doing. He's not. He's keeping you under the power of sin. He may pass it off as being his power. He may tell some people this is my power. It's not. It's the power of sin. The devil sometimes gets some people possessed and they may come under a different kind of power, but that's only after they've yielded to sin over and over again. There are certain things that are pulled in. The Word of God calls it in the New Testament unclean spirits. They came upon them because they have uncleanness in their life. Most of those things had to do with, this is not coming from me, this is coming from other people who have studied this out a lot more than I have. The unclean spirits came upon them because of something they did in the sexual sin area. Most of that is what that is about. When you see unclean spirits, that term there for unclean is about something sexual. How many times have we seen the hold that some of these things have that sometimes when they demon spirits have possessed people, you go back and you talk with them and you find out that uh, parents, a father or mother did something sexual to them and brought them, brought them into these things. There's other types of sexual things that would come in as well. Uh, stay out of those areas. That's why the Word of God, of all the things the Word of God says, it puts sexual sins in a different classification. Those people want to go out there and tell you all sins are even. All sins are the same. They are not. The Bible never teaches that all sins are they're the same. There are different levels of sin. There's different punishments with different types of sin. They are not all the same. Sin is not sin. Some sin leads to more sin. Some sin leads to more problems than other sins do. And the Word of God teaches exactly what those things are. But don't let the devil trick you. You are not under his power. You will not be under his power. 
You are under the, you were under the power of sin. Jesus Christ redeemed us through His blood from that. And the payment was made. The payment was made, guess who? To God. That's why God accepted it. That's why sin has no, no, uh, no say in it. Sin can't say, well, we're not accepting the payment for that one. Sin has no choice. The payment comes to God. And God says, I will accept that. I will accept the work that Jesus did. I will accept the sacrifice that Jesus did for this one. And this one is redeemed. So the devil being the accuser of the brethren, he's standing up there accusing them. Why? Because he wants to show to God they are still under sin. If they are under sin, they're still under his penalty. And this is why he night and day accuses the, the people. Because he has no power over them, but he knows that sin does. And if he can accuse them before God and get that accusation to stand of sin, then the power of sin will still be under them. But we have been redeemed. Understand the power of redemption. We sometimes hear it so many times, we can sometimes lose sight of how powerful this is. You have been redeemed from the curse of the law. You have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. You are no longer under sin you are under righteousness and we ought to produce those things that are up there. Walk in the freedom of sin and don't embrace it. When you see it, don't, don't buy into that part that says, it's just sin, enjoy the pleasures of sin and go on. Do not do it because the pleasures of sin have a high price to pay. I saw somebody posted something about if people knew the price of sin had to pay it up front, they probably wouldn't be involved themselves in the sins that they do. Father, we thank you for the redemption of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what his blood has bought for us, that we are set free from the power of sin. When we walk according to what we have been set free by, the devil has no hold, no way to, to exercise anything in our life because the bondage of sin is broken. He has to try and deceive us into sin to get us under that. But we are wise to his ways and wise to his tactics. And I thank you that the blood of Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.